and he's uh, the way he reads uh, the situation is of a very high level indeed and perhaps uh, you know he's at a level where it comes from government level or one of those uh, that is on the path of uh, truth fighting falsehood as i said at a very high level and uh, then uh, we move on uh, to former prime minister of uh, malaysia mohammed mahathir and he's totally totally uh, not happy with uh, the leadership or the so-called Islamic leadership and he gives his views and uh, you know he was uh, banned by uh, the or he was uh, castigated by the uh, Jewish bonds and uh, you know the uh, Israeli Zionist states for calling them what they are so alhamdulillah that will make interesting listening and uh, then we end up with the Shahid Bolson another commentator and an influencer who talks about the who controls uh, global wealth really interesting indeed so inshallah yes uh, lucolo is on the board uh, this evening uh, let's sit back and enjoy the this edition of wasail alam sadika bismillah nfi the one and only ahmed mandur sheikh imam who's on his segment of politicking with ahmed ahmed assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh yesterday you got the ball shook up hey, hey. yeah spoke about uh, divorce he spoke about uh, what islam uh, has and you uh, there were so many phobic people talking about yeah but what islam did and christianity and that you put everything to perspective ahmed assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh tell me how you doing this wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh mashallah day what a beautiful day in the city of cape town but extremely hot later part of the day yesterday of course yes we've had a session yesterday a whole lot of uh, reports and things that needed to be adopted and so there was quite a few debates and um, once again i think i've used the opportunity of raising the plight of the palestinian people to such an extent that you know the people of palestine brother shaf with something nobody heard it in, in i don't think anybody's heard about it in the country uh, uh, and nobody heard about it in parliament either and i had to educate them about that you even get weed apartheid in Palestine and the topic for discussion in was about cannabis yesterday the use of weed or cannabis and things like that and uh, and so i did some research and found that you have even weed apartheid in uh, Palestine where palestinians if they caught would weed have to go through a military court but israelis just get a simple fine so you can see to what extent the atrocities are being committed in palestine but what is very disturbing you know is some of the latest information that have come out that over 100 people uh, that have died bodies have decomposed and you imagine but uh, another 50 of them those bodies have decomposed inside the hospital 60 of them decomposed in a refrigerator and 100 bodies decomposed outside that is how bad the situation is uh, in 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 Palestine and despite that 
you know, uh, um, we have politicians in this South African parliament wanting to defend the action of, of Israelis. But of course, tomorrow is going to be quite a heated day with the motion from the ANC and the motion from the EFF on shutting down the embassy. Now, a lot of them have been sending me messages calling for us to charge criminally here in South Africa, those serving on the Israeli Defense Force, and they are coating the uh, Foreign um, uh, Military Assistance Act. And I think to some extent it's a misinterpretation of what is going on. Because uh, uh, the, the, in terms of the act, it talks about foreign nations. But if you're serving in two different armies and you have dual citizenship, perhaps it is different. But we're waiting for to get some more expert uh, advice on that, uh, 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 you know, uh, before we believe that we'd be able to do that to that extent. Yeah, so... Um, there were 40 people, 40 people died yesterday alone in Al-Shifa Hospital, just yesterday. And uh, that is how dire the situation is, actually, at the hospital. If you saw the Irish, and I must, I must really, you know, applaud the Irish MPs from Shinfen, particularly, I mean, if you saw even yesterday how he's calling for an immediate ceasefire, I had the opportunity of meeting them a few months ago. And, uh, you know, you can see how committed and dedicated they were to the Palestinian cause. Load shedding has already started again, so it's causing some more havoc for people. Yes, murder after murder. One at an engine garage in Limpo, in uh, Pumalanga province. And then there was another shooting, fatal shooting of another woman, 58-year-old woman. Uh, so it's, 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 this is in the Strand in the Western Cape, outside a school. So, yeah, uh, well, of course, as far as the high levels of violence in the country, it's, it's not having an impact on tourism. There appears to be a drop in tourism as a, as a result of the high uh, levels of uh, crime in the country. So, yeah, these are just some of the things that, that that's uh, hitting the headlines. But strange enough, we find that your friend, Mkonyane, uh, I have so battled to pronounce her name, Deputy SG of the ANC, and your Minister of Electricity apparently went to go and meet the South African Jewish Board of Deputies. Uh, so one needs to see what is it all about. On the one hand, you say one thing, but then you do something else. Yeah. Um, as you talk about uh, the electricity, uh, you know, the new electricity head, he says he doesn't know anything because Pravin Godan is uh, running the roost. He's feeling like a passenger and he's getting paid for he doesn't know for what. So what goes on there? We knew from the time when they appointed this uh, electricity minister, he was something was going to a short circuit. And now it's like a blackout himself. Uh, what's going on there? Brother, I, I, I remain confused too. Can I tell you what? You can't tell me that Praveen Godan has got so much of power that the president and nobody else is willing to do anything about it if Praveen Godan is the problem. Now, I'm not defending Praveen Godan, but what I can't understand is why is it with all the complaints that are coming, if they are correct and if they are right and, and they have an argument to be made, 
then why is the president and no one else taking any action against Pravin Godan? So uh, they, they, they belong to one cabinet. They sit at the same table. So are you telling me that when the minister was raising something in the public domain, is raising that in their cabinet, uh, it's not being addressed? Is Praveen Godan really a problem? And if he is a problem, then why are you not dealing with him accordingly? Or is it that you either have a lot to hide and worry about that you don't want to get rid of him? Or is he getting powers from higher authority? And that's why higher authority is defending and protecting him. I mean, surely I, I, get, I hear a lot of complaints about him, a lot of them. But now nobody has really given you substantial evidence that indeed Praveen Godan is a problem. They all say this and they say that. But, and when he comes out, he defends his actions. And when he defends his action, nobody is able to take him on. So I don't know, it's very confusing for me. But if Gordon is really the problem, then I would expect them to take action against him. And why are they not then, if that's the case? So, but it'd be because it's the same thing. I must tell you that even in my own view, something does not seem to be right. Like I said, I have asked about the SAA. He took a long time avoiding my, my questions. Eventually he did. He didn't give enough information. I wrote back to him. Nearly there, he did give some information. Then I wrote back to find out exactly how much was the deal that we sold all our airplanes to SAFA and then released it back to us. And you understand? And I'm still waiting for that. And it's quite a while ago now that I've asked that. So, you know, that, that, that something is just not right. But then why is nobody doing anything about it? You know, it reminds me of uh, Trevor Manuel. I mean, he, he, when he was Minister of Finance, and then uh, when you say he was captured by the Rothschilds, and he did things uh, with impunity. And it seems as if, uh, you know, this is what's happening. The allegations are with uh, Praveen Godan, as you said, he's like a mystery man, untouchable with vest and that vest and selling this and selling that. But, but why? No, but why? why? But you why? tell me, Amit. You tell me. Come on, let's see. You're the genius, Amit. Tell me why. The only thing I can think of is that the, those that have the powers know too much about him. You are, and he knows too much about them, you know, uh, to the extent that uh, they're going to have to protect each other. Otherwise, the question is, why are you not doing anything about it? So many people are complaining about it. And of course, Praveen Kodan does defend himself. There's no doubt about that. But nobody, nobody is willing to do anything about it. So I don't know. Really. Yeah. But perhaps, <laughs> perhaps maybe I need to, uh, you know, uh, 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 maybe I need to raise it in, in, in uh, hello? Hello? Yeah, we, we can hear you loud and clear. Yeah, maybe, maybe I need to, uh, maybe I'm going to perhaps raise it. I just don't want to preempt anything and, and, and give anybody a reason, you know, because you don't know. You know on the other hand, Maybe he's the kind of guy 
that is a no-nonsense guy and, and he's not, and because he knows he's doing the right thing, you know, perhaps he just doesn't care what they say and what they do. Because you can't bend him, you can't turn him, you can't, you know, normally when you do, you do the right thing, you have a lot of enemies. And no, and, 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 and there's no guarantee anybody else you're putting is doing the right thing. So perhaps maybe he knows that he's, he's strong because he is doing the right thing. And perhaps that's why they're not moving him, even though there's complaint. He doesn't want, he knows to the extent state capture has affected the country. He's raised it again and again. Perhaps that's the other reason why the, even the president won't take action against him. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, Praveen Godan uh, used to uh, work in uh, Rafiq Hassan's pharmacy. You know, Rafiq Hassan, Ahmed? Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was under Rafiq there and uh, today he's a minister and so forth. A message on the screen for you says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The way to proceed uh, to uh, prosecute the South African Zionists uh, servicing in the uh, uh, Israeli Defense Force is to cancel their citizenship. How can they be allowed um, all the freedom of South Africa whilst enforcing apartheid and perpetrating genocide in uh, Palestine? This comes from Ashraf Ahmed. Your response? Brother Ashraf Jazakallah for that. It's a little bit more difficult than that. Remember, them having dual citizenship is an act of parliament. And the only way you can take away that is you're going to have to go back to parliament and amend that, which is going to be a year or two years. It's a long process to want to do away with dual citizenship or amend the act to the extent that you put in restrictions when you do, you know, have dual citizenship. You cannot participate in in military activities, in you know, and things like that. So you're going to have to amend the act. And until you amend the act, uh, my interpretation is this, that if you are, have dual, if you have citizenship of a country, you can participate in the military of the country. Uh, now, if they commit anything... Uh, uh, atrocities in South Africa, you'd be able to criminally charge them in South Africa. But if they commit crimes in like they're doing in, in Palestine, then you can charge them in South Africa, but in terms of the, of the ICC, the international, not in terms of the South African government. The parliament that must be amended uh, to either do away with dual citizenship or put restrictions as to what you can and what you can't do. Looking at a message here, Ibrahim says, Assalamu alaikum, Ahmed Manzur Sheikh Imam, Allah bless you for bringing up the right issues both in Parliament and also on Sirius FM. I want to know about China and US. They are launching a working group on climate action. When it was COVID, it was China and US together that ushered in this so-called pandemic. Now, can we trust the Chinese and the US? It seems like they are head and tail of the same coin. Please, Ahmed. We should be careful because we're being duped big time. Ahmed, how do you respond to uh, Ibrahim here? The irony of all this, brother, is this, that the United States of America did not want to sign on the climate change bill that was being introduced. They wanted to have nothing to do with it. They don't believe in it and whatever it is. And then you have China, which is building more and more even coal-fired power stations. So the, the level of emission in China is unbelievably high. It's like in Delhi. You know, even when you land in, before you land in Delhi, the only thing you can see is fog. The only thing you can see is pollution, nothing else. You can't see the city when you land. 
and so bad it is. So can you imagine these two countries, and perhaps they want to protect themselves uh, uh, by creating this. Uh, but I can tell you that the, the situation in, in both these countries, particularly China, is quite a serious problem. It's quite a serious threat. And um, I guess they want to do their own thing, you know. They want to, to, to give the impression that they are really doing something about it on paper. But in practice, I can tell you, you'll get nothing from them. Because uh, 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 United, uh, China is, 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 is an industrialized nation. And uh, they're not going to be able to afford... Remember, China is in a little bit of a trouble at the moment. Well, not really a serious problem, but it's heading in that direction. So for China's survival and for the inroads that they are making all over Africa and things, they have to maintain that and sustain that level of industrialization and things because they are a net exporter. And uh, to all the African countries and, of course, also to Europe and many other parts, but of course they've exploited Africa to a very large extent. And for that reason, you would find that they know that there's going to be added pressure on them. I mean, China builds a coal-fired power station every week. Every week. That's how it is. Isn't it? Mm, that is a hypocrisy there also. Climate change, but uh, then they are dropping bombs in uh, uh, in Gaza, all over the world. They don't talk about uh, how much of a difference that, that makes. Uh, tackling, uh, you know, the tectonic plates with the nuclear warheads and so forth. That's the biggest polluter on earth, but they never talk about it. Looking at a, a message from Sister Habiba, she says, "Assalamu alaikum, Yana Shafat. I really enjoy the show, and the man from the Cape, Ahmed, too, make us proud. Ahmed, the lifelong envi- environmental." King Charles, he is turning 75. He is uh, he's, uh, one of the best I used to admire. But today I get to know he's also another shaitan. Please, Ahmed, uh, tell the world about this Prince Charles. Looking innocent, but he's like shaitan. He, he also, his poor mother was a bigger shaitan. <laughs> but yeah, how do you respond to Habiba here, Ahmed? Jazakallah, uh, Sister Habiba. I'm actually not a Kiptonian. I'm a Durbanite. But yes, I spend a lot of my time in the Western Cape due to Parliament being here, whatever it is. But uh, yeah, no, Jazakallah for that. And uh, you are absolutely correct. It is these are the colonizers, the British, who have caused havoc and chaos all over that you're still paying the price more. Remember, they are the ones that created apartheid and apartheid. Uh, uh, and what we faced in South Africa, not only uh, all over the world. Remember, it is these shaitans that created the state of Israel. Remember, the Jews were a serious threat to them in their large numbers. And that is why they decided the only way to get rid of them is to send them to, you know, and they they, they, caught, they considered many other places. And I'm told Uganda was one of them. But I, I can tell you that... Um, and then they ended up with Palestine. But uh, the chaos that they've left behind, it's not only them, it's the British, the French, the Germans, the Spanish, and of course the biggest shaitan of them all, or the leader of the shaitan, the shaitan of the shaitans, and that is the United States of America. So I, you are correct, and if you thought before that these people were nice, okay, I also felt... Um, 
uh, let me tell you, became uh, emotional or was uh, disappointed at the death of uh, Princess Diana. But then Princess Diana was somebody else. She was humanitarian. She was not British. She married into that family. She was treated very, very badly. You can see exactly how they they now treat the other daughter-in-law because she's of color. So the British are racist. The British are colonialist. And a lot of the mayhem and chaos that you have in the world, they are part and parcel of us. And that is why you would find that up to today, the Evites, they are supporting the state of Israel. Uh, so yes, this is where it all originated from. It's the British that caused the havoc that you're facing today. And many, many countries today, you know, that uh, uh, that they colonized um, are still going through very difficult times because when they do that, they don't just leave you in pieces, my brother. They always will be interfering. They still want what you got. What has given to them is not enough for them. You know, and they'll try to interfere in the politics of your country. Uh, 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 they will create division among different groups, you know. So in other words, even though they gave in, you understand uh, 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 and allowed countries to become independent, but they still want to have that strong hold over those countries. Well, I'll tell you something, people. Ahmed Manzur Sheikh Imam is also a royal biographer. He can tell you about Camilla Parker. He can tell you about Lady Diana. He can talk to you, talk to you about Hashmat Khan. He'll talk to you about the Dodi Al Faith. Hey, not now, Amit. We'll do another two-hour program just for yeah for the other people that want to hear yeah, to Panchat. But Alhamdulillah, I mean, uh, the rumors, was rumors, but rumors have it that it was just a matter of time when uh, Lady Diana was going to become Muslim. It was just a matter of time. Yeah, and Rome I mean, also has it yeah. killed because uh, yeah, it's, it is rumor, but maybe some say it's facts. And uh, but Allahu Alam, and some said she read a kalima with a sheikh from Egypt, from Al Azhar, and Dodi was a Muslim, and she uh, became an Hashmat Khan, and all that big stories. But anyway, moving on, still with UK, we noticed that there's a battle of the Indians in uh, Westminster Abbey. Oh, in the uh, 10 Downing Street, so, so, sorry, Ahmed. And uh, the UK uh, Interior Minister, Suela, has been fired by none other than Rishi Sunak. The Indians are, like, causing it there, and uh, she said that she's going to take him down. Uh, what's your views on uh, and uh, who comes back? David Cameron, who was, you know, with Brexit and all, he caused a big ruckus there. What's going on with the British, Ahmed? Well, this might be the beginning of the end of Rishi Sunak, isn't it? And perhaps I think she's powerful enough. She's been very well liked. She's been very vocal. And I think maybe this is the opportunity. Maybe this is the opportunity. So, uh, you know, because, you know, people, politicians forget one thing, Brother Shafford, that you represent everybody in your country. You've got to leave alone this sectionalism, this thing of, of, of identifying yourself with certain groupings and things because end of the day, you have a responsibility to serve everybody. But if you are conflicted, it makes it very, very difficult. Now, some of the people cannot, you know, differentiate between their responsibilities as a public representative 
and who you are and what you are. We are very fortunate from the Ummah, you know, uh, which, uh, and we are unique, that um, you'd be able to place yourself in any situation because Islam is all about ethics. It's all about morals and values. It's all about uh, preventing exploitation. It's about human rights, respect for others. It's about charity, you know, things of that nature. So we are very unique. So it's very difficult for other people to put themselves in a position where unless they become Muslims. And I can tell you this woman will give him a run for his money. There's no doubt about that. And it will be very interesting to see in the near future what is going to happen. And, uh, well, indications are that she's really going to be able to uh, uh, un unseat him. Well, uh, perhaps uh, she's been put up by another group there. And, you know, that uh, uh, that party has... Uh, really being heavily backed by the Zionists. And, you know, when they got uh, uh, rid of a Coburn, uh, or was it Jeremy Coburn, you could see what they were doing. They were telling he was anti-Semite, he was like this and like that. And suddenly, Sunak, uh, you could see what he did for Israel, those plane loads of armaments uh, that he took to uh, Israel personally on the plane, got off it. And uh, you can see that, that this uh, he is a darling of the Zionists too, Perhaps they'll keep him there and uh, David uh, Cameron making a comeback. What's your thoughts on that, Ahmed? Well, uh, there's no doubt that the Zionists have a very great influence over the British politics, the uh, American politics. And they will do anything and everything to keep those people, even in South Africa. They're going to make every effort to make sure that those that align themselves with Israel uh, govern. And that's why I say we have to be very careful what we wish for in this country and what will happen if we don't make the right decisions. The grass always looks green on the other side. So um, the influence already that the um, Zionists have in many parts of the world is immense. And we all must take responsibility for allowing a small group of people to have so much of control that they can manipulate anything and everything. So it's, it's not uh, 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 impossible, uh, but yes, indeed, it just depends how strong she is going to be and the support base that she's great. It's not always that money will carry the day. It also depends on your achievements, your commitment, your dedication. Look at what's happening in Ireland at the moment. You know, and if you look at some of the uh, uh, comments by some of the politicians there, uh, as much as I know that Ireland has always been part and parcel of supporting South Africa during the days of apartheid, they've also been supporting the, uh, the Palestinian cause. But there's a smaller group of people, but they're making the bigger noise and they're having it their way. And I know that it's, I think it's, a, it's in the next day or two, there is going to be a motion to expel the Israeli ambassador. Uh, maybe it's something to do with the flag, mm, the Irish. Is it green flag, green and white? Uh, our colors are green and alhamdulillah. Well, Ahmed, absolutely, mashallah, in your company. Uh, you know, the report on the high levels of murders that's taking place in the country 
Now, yesterday we debated the police reports and things like that. Police, um, civil and secretariat, IPAD and things like that. The police force in the country is going through a very difficult time. Detectives alone, they are short of about 8,000 detectives. Some detectives have got about 200 dockers to deal with, which is impossible to deal with. And that is the reason why you tend to find, you know, policing is about prevention of crime. Unfortunately, yeah, they have to spend all their time attending to crime after it's committed. So there is not enough resource. So you need another half a million police officers to be all over all the time in terms of visibility or a million of them with what's happening in the country for you to be able to bring down the level of crime so those that are investigating will have less work and be able to do justice to it. This is the from iPad alone has got 46,000 cases that backlog that they are dealing with. So we must not expect too much, but <clears throat> I'm saying the communities have got a major role to play with crime. And often we just tend to ignore everything that's happened. In other words, we know who's a drug dealer in our community and we'll do nothing about it. Absolutely nothing about it. We'll know people are bringing in stolen vehicles into their yards, stripping them, and we'll do nothing about it. We'll know that, you know, uh, uh, there are people that are buying stolen goods, housebreaking, bring it, and we'll do nothing about it. So, you know, if you also want love your children, and if your children are doing the wrong thing, you must, if you can't deal with them, hand them over. Because otherwise, one day, they're going to pay the ultimate price for it. Then you're going to sit back and you're going to cry. Don't be in a state of denial. If your child needs help, get him or help, but get it early. When a child is in drugs, often I find parents in the denial, no, my child doesn't smoke. But you know, all well, that will be my words that we don't need to be in denial, but we need to assist them by they got a problem and deal with it. Inshallah, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I have a warning. Don't be in denial. Face the facts. Well, Yes, I'm the Manzur Sheikh Imam there calling a spade a spade and giving us a food for thought. Also, uh, yes, uh, next uh, up will be. Uh, a veteran that I really admired, you know, when it came to politics, uh, Muhammad, uh, Dr. Uh, Mahathir Muhammad, and Alhamdulillah, he is really rather very disappointed with uh, the Arab Islamic leadership. So, inshallah, sit back and enjoy. May peace be upon you. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I would like to thank the organizer for inviting me to share some thoughts with all the distinguished personalities present. I do not know how much of what I say can make any difference to the situation in Palestine where we witness every day for the past one month the barbarity of Israel conducting mass murder and genocide. But I am bound by a very basic principle in Islam when witnessing a grave injustice in which if I'm not capable of raising my hands and joining the fight, I must speak up 
and oppose the tyranny. And that is what I am doing. I'm now 98 years old, and I have lived through numerous phases as the world evolved. I have witnessed the cruelties and atrocities of colonialism, the arrogance of the colonialists and the hypocrisy of powerful nations. But the arrogance of Israel, his, his barbarity and colossal disregard for human values equals and most times surpass the horrors committed during the colonial past. Ladies and gentlemen, it is difficult to find words to describe the atrocities and horrendous cruelties inflicted by the Israelis on the Palestinians. These horrors perpetrated by the Israelis are brought right into our living room as we watch them on news channels and other sources of information on social media platforms. Then we ask ourselves, surely leaders of the Western world, the US and the UK in particular, have access to the same graphic images of children and babies being killed, dying horrific, suffocating death in rubbles of bombed buildings. On the one hand, these leaders of the so-called civilized world demand the third world to observe human rights and even animal rights and show overbearing concerns over homelessness and poverty. And yet all these that they preach to the world are being stripped in blatantly of the Palestinians. Worse, they are abetting the Israelis to deny Palestinians of their rights, their homes, while totally impoverishing them. They supply the arms and incendiaries, including phosphorus bombs to Israel to conduct genocide on the Palestinians and deprive them of all their rights. Surprising as it may seem to most people, it is actually a consistent trait of leaders from these nations who are imperialists. If we today discover that to these leaders, the lives of Palestinians are of no consequence, it was likewise to them with the lives of the Iraqis, the Afghans, Vietnamese, Japanese, Koreans, Africans, Irish, Malays, Indians, Aborigines, and Native Americans. In the past, when they were pursuing their imperialistic dominance, they labeled freedom fighters with pejoratives, which I am sure we are all quite familiar with, barbarians, rebels, savages, uncivilized, infidels, recalcitrant, and of course, terrorists. As in the past, all these labeling a mere facade to distract the rest of the world from what was actually happening, the expansion of imperialism. For us, we need to be steadfast 
in our support for the Palestinian and call a spade a spade. Israel is an occupying force committing genocide on Palestinians who are the occupied people. Israel is being abetted to commit the atrocities by the Western powers whose hands are as bloodied as that of the Israelis with the blood of Palestinian children and babies. And let us be clear, in any language or definition, the occupier is the evil force and those occupied are victims. Victims of occupations have every right to rise against their occupier. And Palestine had been occupied for more than seven decades. And we should not let ourselves be taken for a ride by the modern day imperialists who want to confine Israeli's genocidal reaction to Hamas retaliation on October the 7th. The world must be reminded that the genocide had never ceased since the illegal creation of Israel and that it is funded and armed and fully blessed by leaders of these nations. To sum up, the Palestinians are dealing with present-day imperialists and colonialists who stick together in the pursuit of their common interests, geopolitical dominance, which in turn ensure control over crucial regional resources. Ladies and gentlemen, we have established that the Palestinians are victims of new imperialism, which means that neither Israel nor the US, neither the UK nor their Western allies are interested in seeing peace or justice being achieved. With that in mind, I cannot help but feel utterly disappointed with the recent joint Arab-Islamic Extraordinary Summit, which failed to propose any concrete or strategic measures to pressure Israel and its Western allies to stop the massacre of Palestinian civilians. Let's not fool ourselves. All the strongly worded communique, statements, demands, and condemnations directed towards Israel and its Western allies, in particular the United States, will fall on deaf ears. As it is, the reaction from the war criminal Netanyahu is very telling, condescending and derogatory when he arrogantly said, I say to the Arab leaders, if you want to preserve your interests, you must do one thing, remain silent. The reality is that despite efforts by Israel over seven decades to strip Palestinians of their dignity, the Palestinians still hold their heads high. In the past month, the Palestinians, including school-going youth, again prove their courage and defiance in the face of Israel's barbarity and atrocities. In the face of such adversity, we witness civilian Palestinians, especially doctors and nurses, refusing to leave their hospitals for safer places, 
insisting on staying and treating the wounded at the risk of their own lives. Many died, but they will live on as martyrs and heroes. Instead, it is Muslim and Arab leaders who are being stripped of their dignity as Israel, the U.S., and the Western allies continue to humor them by never taking them seriously. Despite sitting on areas of abundant wealth that could be used as leverage to demand Western nations apply sanctions against Israel for its atrocities on the Palestinian, Arab and Muslim leaders merely appeal for Israel to stop the genocide. They don't even demand that the UN send peacekeepers. I am aware that some of these leaders are nauseated and want the Arab and Islamic summit to take more drastic and concrete measures against Israel. However, the others preferred to play it safe so that consensus could not be reached other than the meaningless diplomatic appeal. With that, the Palestinians are left at the mercy of Israel, the U.S. and its Western allies, and they are as culpable as Israel over the genocide. Wassalamualaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh, and thank you. There you have a 98-year-old Mahathir Muhammad. You're telling you he's been through life, he's seen everything, and he's seen all the tamasha of what they're doing and what the Zionists have been doing, what the Americans have been doing using the veto power. But, but, what have Muslim leadership done? What have the Arab leadership done? What have all, you know, besides only hot air and uh, letting a bully like uh, the uh, genocide king bully them and tell them, you just stay quiet, you stay in your corner, otherwise, you know, you'll lose all your perks that you're getting courtesy of us. That's what he's telling you. You know, we make it happen for you. Your airlines, are, we'll give you uh, your tourism destination and we get trade done with you. Uh, there'll be no sanctions against you. We'll sell you arms and ammunition. You just stay put and I will perpetrate my genocide. Allah save us. Allah save us in the annals of history. We will be judged of what type of people we are. And already, um, uh, you know, Muhammad Mahathir says uh, that they are losing their dignity. Yes, uh, time for us to bring in uh, Shahid Bolson. And he talks about uh, who's controlling the global, yeah, the global economy and who's doing what. So sit back and inshallah, enjoy. There's something I feel like I have to address. And that is that there's a segment of people who watch my videos who in the comment section I've noticed have their own preconceived notions which make them think that whenever I'm talking about the owners and controllers of global financialized capital, I'm talking about the Jews. So no. And I really think that you're going to have to rehabilitate your thinking uh, out of these kinds of assumptions, especially Muslims. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole history of the Jewish people here, nor am I going to enter into the controversy about what actually constitutes a Jew, whether it's an ethnic identity or a religious identity or both. But suffice it to say, that is not at all a clear issue. Personally, I agree with Shlomo Sand on this. 
and be that as it may, Christians own significantly more wealth than Jews globally. Okay, now, according to Forbes magazine, there are 267 Jewish billionaires. Again, that includes both religious and non-religious Jews. And that's out of a total number of billionaires in the world of 2,668. So roughly 10% are Jewish and 90% of billionaires are not Jewish. Around 2% of the millionaires in the world are Jewish. But around 7% of the millionaires in the world are Muslim. So the Jews aren't really surpassing anyone in that regard. The ratio of Jews with higher incomes in the United States specifically is higher than the ratio of higher income people uh, relative to the general population. 24% of religious Jews and 21% of non-religious Jews uh, have annual incomes higher than $200,000 a year. But around 47% of all American Jews earn uh, 50K or less per year, which puts them more or less squarely in the middle class. And it's around the same percentage as the general population, around 50%, around half of the American population is middle class. So there's nothing particularly stunning there either. But you know, a more interesting thing to look at is actually the uh, global ownership of investment capital by religious groups. The University of Oxford actually did a study of 360 uh, faith-based investment uh, organizations and they found that Christian-aligned capital totaled around $260 billion. Hindu and Buddhist-aligned capital actually totaled around $300 billion, while Jewish-aligned capital was only around $16 billion. But when they looked at Muslim sovereign capital and private finance capital, that totaled a whopping $4 trillion. So $16 billion is considerably less than $4 trillion. But okay, so I know that when the, the Jews are the richest and they own everything assumption gets disproven, the standby argument as the go-to is, okay, it's not just about the wealth, it's about how they use it and which sectors of the economy they are strategically using their wealth in and where they place themselves to give them disproportionate control. I mean, the Jews own all the banks, right? And big tech and the media. Okay, let's see. Let's start with the banks. First of all, of the top 10 biggest banks in the world, half of them are in China, so that's a non-starter. The biggest American bank is J.P. Morgan Chase, which is predominantly owned by institutional investors like BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. Of the top five individual investors in J.P. Morgan Chase, two of them are Jewish. The next largest uh, Western bank is PNB Paribas in France, which is 92% owned by institutional investors, and the CEO was accused of anti-Semitism and of forcing employees to view Hitler in a positive light in a training video that was circulated internally to the bank. So, so much for the Jewish influence on that particular bank. And then the next bank we have is Bank of America, which is again predominantly owned by institutional investors led by Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett, who is not a Jew. And Warren Buffett is also the largest private individual shareholder in Wells Fargo, with the rest being institutional investors. And the same pretty much goes for Citigroup as well. And you can sort of see the pattern. Look, the idea of Jews controlling banking is basically born out of the old history of Jews in Europe when the Christian church was the dominant political power and they prohibited Christians from engaging in riba, in interest but they didn't prohibit 
Jews from doing so. So Jews became moneylenders, became financiers, and founded banks. But this history is very old, and it's obsolete, and it has been for a long time. But also, private individual ownership of banks and companies is virtually obsolete as well, which is why the whole notion of exclusive Jewish control or even disproportionate control over anything is just not feasible today. All of these institutions have literally layers upon layers upon layers of owners. The institutional investors, the institutional shareholders are largely asset management companies like BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, who themselves are beholden to their shareholders and their investors. So what it actually comes down to is just rich people and again, most rich people are not Jewish. Okay, so now let's look at big tech. The big five, that's Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, and Microsoft. Okay, so Alphabet, again, the majority shareholders are institutional investors. But the two largest individual shareholders are the two founders of Google who are both Jewish. The largest individual shareholders of uh, Amazon are Jeff Bezos, who is not Jewish, and Andy Jassy, who is Jewish. And Amazon is the same thing. Institutional investors are the majority shareholders, but you have the individual investors, the largest of which is Jeff Bezos, who is not Jewish, and Andy Jassy, who is Jewish. Apple is owned by institutional investors led by Vanguard and Berkshire Hathaway, again, which is Warren Buffett, who is not a Jew. And the biggest individual shareholder is Tim Cook, who is also not Jewish. The controlling shareholder of Meta is, of course, Mark Zuckerberg, who is Jewish, but the company is 74% owned by institutional investors. As for Microsoft, of course, Bill Gates is not Jewish, nor are the top three individual shareholders of Microsoft. And yet again, the company is mostly owned by institutional investors. So basically, you just have Google and Meta, where there are Jewish people with powerful shareholding control. But that control is always mitigated by the fact that these are public companies, which are accountable to an ocean of institutional investors. So what about media? The largest media conglomerates in America are AT&T, Comcast, Disney, News Corp, Fox, and Sony. Between them, they own most of the television networks, film studios, uh, publishers, newspapers, TV channels, and so on. In addition to these conglomerates, there are a little over a dozen individual billionaires with significant media holdings. Most of these media conglomerates are public companies and they are majority owned by institutional investors. So bear that in mind. When it's owned by institutional investors, it means that it is owned by an ocean of nameless, faceless, rich people, most of whom are not Jewish. So you have institutional investors and then you have the individual investors. In all of these companies, the overwhelming majority of ownership is with institutions. There's a small slice of these companies where there are individual investors. So the largest individual investor for say Comcast, he is a Jew. The largest individual shareholder of AT&T is not Jewish. Of the top three individual shareholders of Disney, two are Jewish. The top individual shareholders of News Corp are not Jewish. The major individual shareholders of Fox are the Murdoch family, who are not Jewish and even have been accused of anti-Semitism. And Sony, of course, is also not Jewish owned. And then out of the 14 or 15 billionaires with significant media holdings, which means local and national newspapers, radio stations, television channels, and so on, out of that 14 or 15 people, five of them are Jews. So banking, big tech, and media, there is not actually significant Jewish ownership. Now, if you wanted to dig deeper, because you're not satisfied with that, and say it's not about the ownership, it's about the executives, it's about the CEOs, it's about the management, because they can control what the company does, then you don't understand how corporations work. 
even if you discovered that there was an overrepresentation of Jews in positions of CEO or executive positions or management positions, it wouldn't matter. In the corporate model, CEOs and management are completely subordinate to shareholders. It means they cannot use their positions to pursue some ideological agenda. They must use their positions strictly and exclusively to pursue the benefit of shareholders. And if they don't, they will lose their jobs. Okay, so we've gone through banking, we've gone through media, we've gone through big tech. What's left? Well, political power, right? The Jews control political policy, right? Okay, let's look at it. What is referred to as the pro-Israel lobby or the Jewish lobby is actually an assortment or a collection of pro-Jewish, pro-Israeli uh, lobbies and political action committees like, say, J Street or IPAC, names that you might know, as well as a few uh, lesser-known organizations. So in the latest numbers that we have, which are from 2021 to 2022, the combined Jewish lobbies contributed a total of $30 million to politicians in Washington. That sounds like a lot, right? Well, Saudi Arabia and the UAE in that same amount of time spent $100 million. Look, Muslims have to understand, U.S. support for Israel has nothing to do with the Jewish lobby. They have historically supported Israel because it is beneficial for them to do so. And in terms of lobbying, no one benefits more from U.S. policy towards Israel than the defense industry. And the defense industry consistently outspends the Jewish lobby in every election cycle by tens of millions of dollars. But it's in everyone's interest to pretend that the Jewish lobby is that powerful. For the Jewish lobbyists themselves, obviously they can pretend that they are highly effective and sell their services to their Jewish communities so that they can garner more support and more donations, more contributions to make them richer based on the idea that they're just incredibly influential. And for everyone else, it allows them to deflect responsibility for policies by blaming the all-powerful Jewish lobby. So to conclude, Jews are among the owners and controllers of global financialized capital, primarily or predominantly as the controllers, which despite what the name might suggest, is a subordinate position to the owners of capital. But the Jews are by no means the dominant players in this class. Furthermore, I would like to say that Jews are not monolithic in their ideology, certainly not extremely wealthy Jews. You know, in the ayah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the Jews, you think that they're united but their hearts are divided. That ayah isn't about the Jews. That ayah is about us. Because Allah isn't pointing out some unique thing about the division between the hearts of the Jews. Division is a very normal de facto state between human beings. What is unique that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is drawing our attention to is our belief that they are united. He is pointing out to us the error of our assumption and yet many of us continue to hold that assumption. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that they won't fight you unless they are behind a wall or in a high fortress. And that unless they are under a covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or a treaty with people more powerful than them, they will be in a weakened and subject state. And this of course is true and history bears it out. It's the classic position of any people who generally operate as middleman minorities. They are reliant upon others for their security, financial and otherwise. So you take someone like Larry Fink, who's the head of BlackRock and who is a Jew. He's a middleman. His position depends upon the approval of those who own the assets that he manages on their behalf. 
This is how such a tiny group of people were able to survive more or less cohesively for thousands of years. The Jews highly value education and on average spend more years in school than most people. And unsurprisingly, they reap the benefits of that in their professional careers and their incomes. But no, the Jews are not the owners and controllers of global financialized capital. That's absurd. And that's all based on old conspiracy theories of European and Christian anti-Semites. But the Jews are, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described them, not as the Nazis described them. Jazakumullahu khairan wa assalamu alaikum. Well, people, there I can tell you, Shayda Bolson has given me a refresher cause. Uh, my thinking there perhaps... Uh, yeah, has to be changed because I was the pro APAC and they, they controlled this, the breweries of the world, the food industry of the world. And I say that also being an economist uh, made us see uh, uh, something that we never thought of. So, Alhamdulillah, I hope you found uh, this evening's uh, session of our Truthful News uh, beneficial as I did. And Alhamdulillah, I would like to thank Lukolo for Top Tech uh, this evening. Also, keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming. And a lovely Nasheed interspersed from the team. And I till we meet you again, we bid you Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.